Let's, uh, let's get started with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. We thank you for revealing yourself in your word. Uh, we thank you for all the promises we see, and also for the warnings. Uh, we thank you for your great love, your loving kindness, and your mercy uh, towards each and every one of us. Uh, we thank you especially for the love that it took to send your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I thank you, Lord, for uh, the body of Christ, the way you've built it from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And I thank you, Lord, for this body of Christ here at Hope Bible Church and my wonder, wonderful brothers and sisters here. And uh, pray, Lord, that uh, you would fill us with your Holy Spirit today as we study your word and uh, that we would truly understand what you're trying to teach us and uh, that you would... Uh, help us to apply it to our lives so that we live uh, our lives uh, in light of the truths of your holy word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in part 25, and so that means next week is the end of the quarter. So we have uh, 13 weeks and 13 weeks and 13 weeks uh, here to study Revelation, and so we're at the end of the second quarter. Uh, part 26 will be the end, and then you'll have to re-register for the next quarter, which will start the week after next, and that'll be the final 13 parts of our study of the book of Revelation. So, uh, part 25, we're going to call this the Beast Out of the Sea, and so we're going to be covering the first half of chapter 13 today. Uh, so we're going to see this wonderful beast coming out of the sea. He's not such a wonderful beast, really. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see this terrible beast. Uh, we're going to take a look at some various aspects. The, the, Bible, the Bible describes this beast here in some detail. Uh, we're going to look at his ancestry, his authority, his acclaim, his adoration, his arrogance, his activity, and his admirers. Um, this beast. So these first 10 chapter, uh, verses of uh, chapter 13 are about the beast. Uh, but first let's take a look backwards at what we did last time. And so last time we did the last part, the last half of chapter 12. Um, and so we saw a war in heaven and a war on earth. So first there was a war in heaven between Satan and his fallen angels and the archangel Michael and the holy angels. And of course the dragon, uh, Satan, loses that war and ends up getting th thrown down uh, out of heaven. There was no place found for him in heaven. So Satan has been opposing God from the beginning all the way from his fall. And then throughout human history he keeps opposing God and his people. Um, and, this, he, and, and in this case, this particular battle we see here in chapter 12, he, he fights the holy angels, he, he and his fallen angels, and they lose. And the dragon is thrown down to earth. And so there's this big battle in heaven. Satan and his, uh, his demons lose, and they're thrown down to earth. Um, there's a description of the dragon um, that uh, goes through the various kind of um, uh, possible names for him, and also descriptions of things that he's done throughout history. So he's listed as the serpent of old, pointing all the way back to the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden, where he was the serpent. Um, and then the devil, uh, which means accuser, or slanderer, um, and then um, 
outright labeled as Satan, and then also the one who deceives the whole world. So this this detailed description of who this dragon is to make sure there's no um, there's no confusion. Um, there are many things in Revelation that are difficult to discern, and this is not one of them. The dragon is Satan. There's uh, very explicit there. Um, and so when the when the Satan is thrown down out of heaven, no longer any access to heaven. Um, there's a um, kind of a explosion of joy in heaven, um, salvation, power, and kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ have come. The accuser has been thrown down. So there's this kind of uh, joy in heaven that, uh, at this event. Um, and then, of course, now he's on heaven, uh, he's thrown down from heaven to earth, and then we saw the war on earth. And he makes war first against the, the, the woman and her child, and then against uh, those who uh, are redeemed, those who are um, the saints. Um, and the saints overcome, and the description of why they overcome is important. Why is it that the, the saints, the tribulation saints, are over, able to overcome the Satan, uh, uh, the dragon who is Satan? It's not in their own power. It's two things. It's because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. In other words, the finished work of Christ on the cross and the testimony of the gospel, the testimony about Christ and his finished work on the cross. That's why they overcome, not because of their own power. Um, and so for this reason, there's rejoicing in heaven uh, again. So there was rejoicing in heaven when Satan is thrown down. There's rejoicing in heaven when the saints overcome Satan in the battle on earth because Satan loses that battle too. And it only goes for a short time. We see it's at um, three and a half years, the last half of the tribulation. And we'll talk a, a lot more about that here in, in, uh, chapter, in uh, chapter 13 when we do that today. Um, and so there's this description of part of this war on earth is uh, Satan making war against Israel and Israel fleeing. And there's description of wings of eagles, which is the same imagery used in Exodus to describe God saving his people out of Egypt. Uh, but he's going to take care of the, the people of Israel when they flee into the wilderness. And it's a specific time once again. And we've seen this time over and over and over again. Uh, time, times, and half a time. So time is one year, times is two years, half a, uh, half a time is a half a year. So one plus two plus a half is three and a half years. That's the second half of the tribulation. We've seen that described this way. We've seen it described as 42 months, which is the same time. We've seen it described as 1260 days, which is once again the same time. Uh, but it's the, over and over and over again we get this description uh, of the second half of the tribulation in this part of scripture. Um, so the, the, Satan goes after Israel and he's uh, thwarted in uh, going after Israel. There's some um, figurative language there with the river being swallowed up by the earth. And once again, that's um, uh, Exodus 15 uses that same kind of imagery to describe how uh, God destroyed the Egyptians in the Red Sea, the earth swallowing them. That's exactly how it's described in Exodus 15. Uh, so then we have um, uh, Satan also attacks those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's all the believers. Um, and the tribulation saints, of course, are able to overcome Satan. And as we saw before, it's because of the blood of the Lamb and the testimony 
their testimony. And so that's how they overcome. Revelation chapter 13. So if you will open your Bible to Revelation chapter 13, and we'll, we'll start reading. So Revelation chapter 13, starting in verse 1, we're going to read the first 10 verses. So this is the word of the Lord. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for forty-two months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. So that's the word of the Lord. We're going to take a look at uh, what's happening here. Uh, first, I'll give you a few, uh, a few paragraphs from John MacArthur in his introduction to this section of, of Scripture. Um, MacArthur says, The astounding description of the Antichrist presented in the opening verses of this chapter is the most gripping, thorough, and dramatic one in all of Scripture. However, it was not new teaching to John's readers. John wrote in his first epistle that his readers had heard that Antichrist is coming. After describing Antichrist and his activity, the Apostle Paul reminded the Thessalonians, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Those passages indicate that the truth about Antichrist was common knowledge in New Testament times. The original source of the biblical teaching about the Antichrist is the book of Daniel. Daniel 7 pictures the Antichrist as a little horn in verse 8, arising from the ten horns of the fourth beast of Daniel's vision. That horn represents a person, since it possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts, verse 8. Earlier in that verse, Daniel notes that three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before Antichrist, indicating that he will destroy three of the other rulers verse 24, and subjugate the rest during his rise to power. Later in chapter 7, Daniel saw that the horn, or Antichrist, was waging war with the saints and overpowering them, verse 21. 
Antichrist is seen leading a savage persecution of God's people until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Verse 22. As a spirit being, Satan depends on humans to carry out his evil plans on earth. He controls all unbelievers, since they are of their father the devil, and want to do the desires of their father. John 8.44 And walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2.2 but some humans have been and are under Satan's, or his demons, direct control. For example, Satan used Judas to betray Jesus to his death. In the terrifying words of Luke 22.3, Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. During his earthly ministry, Jesus showed his mastery over Satan by casting demons out of people. He also delegated power over the demonic realm to the apostles to aid them as they confronted Satan's kingdom. Mark 3. By so doing, he and the apostles not only freed people from demonic bondage, but also hindered Satan from carrying out his earthly agenda. Having been cast permanently from heaven in chapter 12, verse 9, Satan will know that the time remaining to him is brief. To lead his last desperate onslaught against God, he will empower his final Antichrist. And so that's MacArthur's little introduction to this, uh, this section of Scripture. So let's take a look, verse by verse, at what we see here in Scripture. So um, just, to, just as a reminder, um, when, I, when I make these slides, I always put the actual Scripture at the top. Uh, because I want to make sure that's always in your mind. So um, the things that I'm going through are things that I have studied and things that I, I think are sound exposition of the text. However, the text is the text. And the text is what is true and right and good. And only as far as an exposition is true to the text is it worth anything. Um, so... I put the text there at the top always on every single slide because that's what's important, what the actual text says. So uh, just as a reminder, so uh, what the text says is, and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I, I so this is John, of course, seeing this in a vision. We're, we're in, the, in the midst of a long vision that started with the woman, the dragon and the woman and the child. And this is still the same vision. Uh, it's another part of the same vision. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. So what in the world is going on here? What is this beast? So as John's vision continues to unfold, uh, the dragon summons the Antichrist, uh, described as the beast coming up out of the sea. Um, Therion, beast, is also used to describe Antichrist in chapter 11. So we've seen this Greek word, uh, this beast, before in chapter 11. Um, it's, uh, that word, that Greek word, is not used for a domesticated animal, uh, but a wild, savage, vicious monster. That's what that word means in Greek. That's translated here as beast in English. Savage, vicious, wild beast. Um, and that's how the, 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 the Antichrist is described here. Uh, using that word, beast. Um, the beast represents both a kingdom and a person, and, and we get that because we see from Scripture this uh, detailed description of him 
is describing both things. Um, and especially when we look at not only this scripture, but also the description, in, uh, this, the original description of this Antichrist in Daniel chapter 7, we see that it's describing both a kingdom and a person. Um, we see a complete, you know, the seven heads and in in the ten horns with seven crowns. This is obviously describing uh, kingdom or kingdoms, but it's also, there's also a personal description here. It's a beast, and it's, it says things. It, it speaks uh, blasphemous things. Uh, the beast must also represent, represent a person, since he is always described with personal pronouns, for example, his, him, he, uh, throughout uh, the book of Revelation here. Um, we're going to see more of this beast uh, in, um, in succeeding chapters as well. And also in Daniel, when he's first introduced in Daniel 7 and 8 and 11. And also when Paul describes him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, the, the Antichrist is described as a person. So it's both. It's a description. So uh, it's often the way with this kind of vision uh, that John has. It's a, a symbolic representation of something real, uh, but often it's complex like this, uh, both a kingdom and a person in this case. Uh, and so in this manner, the scripture views the final world empire as inseparable from its ruler, uh, much as Hitler is inseparably linked to the Third Reich. So if we think of uh, the Third Reich, Germany, World War II, Hitler uh, I mean, the, the, those two are fused, um, and that's what we have here. We have the Antichrist and this final world kingdom are fused together in this vision. Um, they're both described here by the vision. Uh, so there's been much dis uh, discussion about what the sea symbolizes. So why is the beast coming out of the sea, and what does the sea mean here? So this is a good thing to ponder. Uh, so we've had so when we we saw this beast before in chapter eleven, the beast was coming up out of what? The beast was coming up out of the abyss, and so this is the same beast, and now it's coming up out of the sea, and so um, it, it is the same beast being described, and so it's both described as coming out of the abyss and the sea. So it's uh, best to equate the sea with the abyss, I think, uh, and that's in harmony with the Old Testament imagery, which uses the metaphor of the sea to picture the realm of satanic activity in Job 26, Psalm 74, and 89, and Isaiah 27. That's uh, Old Testament imagery. So John often uses, borrows Old Testament imagery. He doesn't often quote directly from the Old Testament, but he borrows the Old Testament imagery over and over and over again, and he seems to be doing that here as well. Um, and so we know that some of the uh, demons are currently incarcerated in the abyss, and we see them come up out of the abyss in, in chapter 9. Uh, we have that described in Luke 8 as well. Um, and Satan will be imprisoned in the abyss during the Millennial Kingdom. We'll see that in Revelation chapter 20. Um, so the Antichrist, in summary of these things, will be a man, as described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as well. Uh, but at some point in his life, he will be indwelt by a powerful demon from the abyss. His power comes from the demon from the abyss. Uh, this demon-possessed man will be a gifted orator, an intellectual genius, possess great charm and charisma, and have immense leadership power. Added to those natural qualities will be the hellish power of Satan, 
the result will be a person of superhuman power and intelligence along with the extreme wickedness. So this is kind of the total biblical picture of this Antichrist from Daniel chapter 7, from uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and from here in Revelation, uh, he will be a world leader that uh, the whole world follows. And we'll see that both in chapter 13, and we'll see it more, we'll see more descriptions of it uh, in subsequent chapters as well in a little bit, uh, in additional detail. Uh, but this is the overall picture we get of Antichrist. So he describes the beast as having ten hordes and seven heads and with crowns on the horns. Um, and that's essentially the same description as, as was applied to Satan in chapter 12. So when we had the dragon and the woman and the child, we had a description of Satan which had uh, seven heads and ten horns. Uh, so we'll see what we can learn from that. So horns in scripture symbolize strength and power, both for attack and defense. We see that over and over again in uh, Old Testament biblical imagery. Uh, in this passage, they re represent the great power of the kings who will rule under the Antichrist's authority. Uh, so ten fits the imagery of the fourth beast of Daniel. So we have ten. Um, uh, we had ten horns in that case in um, Daniel chapter 7 and is a symbolic number representing the world's political and military might. So we see that the whole world follows and worships the beast. We'll see that both here and in subsequent descriptions of uh, his kingdom, uh, the, the Antichrist kingdom. Um, so it's the whole world and evidently there will be rulers under him from this description. Um, Antichrist will arise from among these ten. We get that from Daniel chapter 7. Um, and will not rule merely ten nations, but the entire world. We get that also from Daniel chapter 7, and we get that from the description we get here in this chapter as well in Revelation. Unlike the seven heads, which represent successive world empires, all the rulers symbolized by the ten hordes will rule at the same time. And so that's why the, the crowns are different. So in the, in the case of the seven heads with crowns, that was seven successive empires. Now in the final... Uh, Antichrist kingdom will have ten kings that are ruling at the same time. That's why they're on the horns and under the Antichrist. And so that's why the imagery is a little bit different from what we had before with seven crowns on the seven heads. It was specifically seven kingdoms. We're still getting the seven kingdoms imagery here and we'll see that played out in Revelation chapter 15 where it'll describe those uh, seven kingdoms, and it's six previous kingdoms, and the seventh one is the Antichrist kingdom, but it'll have ten rulers under the Antichrist that are all ruling at the same time in that seventh kingdom. And so that's why the diadems are like they are here. Uh, we, and we'll see that in, in chapter 17. When we get to chapter 17, we'll see the description of those seven empires. Um, yeah. And so this whole thing works out, and, and it fits together. Uh, and it's amazing that it does fit together the way it does. Um, and it show, it's an, another example of the remarkable nature of Scripture. The, the Scripture is not like other books in, in many, many ways. But in, in this particular way, where we see a description of this Antichrist uh, over thousands of years. So the book of Daniel is hundreds of years before Christ. Uh, we have... This book of Revelation is, you know, almost 100 years after Christ, and they have a consistent description of this um, 
Antichrist of the world kingdoms that Daniel predicted before they happened. Um, and then this final kingdom, which is in line with everything that Daniel said in Daniel chapter 7, here in a, another prophecy that occurs hundreds of years separated from when Daniel was prophesying. Uh, the remarkable nature of biblical prophecy. So in addition to the ten horns, uh, there are seven heads. Um, and as we will see in detail in Revelation 17, the seven heads are seven successive world empires. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo, Persia, Greece, Rome, and that's six. And then the final one is Antichrist's kingdom to come. Um, now, there have been other world empires. Why, are the other, why is the Chinese Empire and the Mongol Empire and the Aztec Empire not listed here? Because they didn't rule Israel. That's right. So these are the, the kingdoms that conquered the holy city, uh, essentially. It doesn't mean that there weren't other world empires, but they, they, they didn't uh, affect the center of the spiritual universe. Uh, the Holy Land and, and Israel and Jerusalem. But these others did. Uh, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome all, all conquered Israel and Jerusalem. Um, and so, so will the Antichrist's uh, kingdom. So uh, the ten diadems indicate regal authority and victorious power. Um, and the final description we get of this Antichrist, uh, this beast, is blasphemous names on the heads. Um, now, there, there have been blasphemers in the past, Roman emperors who made people worship them, um, and they took divine names and titles for themselves. Um, but Antichrist will take it to another level. Um, Paul wrote about of the Antichrist, uh, the Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That's Paul's description in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 of the Antichrist. Um, and so this is what he's going to do. Uh, then verse 2 continues, And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. So what is this with all these animals? Um, uh, so, first of all, it's the same animal characteristics as Daniel had in his vision in, in Daniel chapter 7. Um, the leopard and the bear and the lion. Uh, leopard, bear, and lion were well known in the Middle East. Uh, they uh, emphasize the characteristics of the nations uh, that they're representing. So, it's talking about kingdoms here. Uh, the lion was a symbol of the Babylonian Empire, um, fierce and consuming power. Uh, the bear... Uh, a, a depiction of the Medo-Persian Empire, ferocity, strength, and stability. The leopard, um, a symbol of the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great, very swiftly conquering the whole world, the whole known world at that time. Um, so it's describing these kingdoms, essentially. Uh, and John lists the three animals in reverse order from Daniel. Why does he do that? Well, Daniel's looking forward at those three kingdoms, and John's looking back at those three kingdoms. So he lists them in the opposite order as he looks back through history. So uh, isn't that remarkable? Uh, the detail uh, that the Holy Spirit puts into the scriptures. Daniel's, Daniel lists them in order as they will be coming. John lists them in his order as they have been. Um, those three animal symbols of those three kingdoms. 
Um, and then, of course, in Daniel 7, you have the indescribable fourth beast, which represents the Roman Empire. And in this vision, Antichrist's final empire is a composite of preceding empires reminiscent of the Roman Empire. So there's an artist's rendering. Uh, you've got, uh, first of all, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven heads. Uh, you've got uh, leopards and lions and bears and an indescribable beast. You've got uh, ten horns, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten horns. And each of the horns has a little crown on there. So <laughs> the artist tried to get everything in there uh, from the description. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, I don't know exactly what John saw. I don't know if that was <laughs> what he saw, but um, some beast coming up out of the sea. With, yeah. <clears throat> I'll count, okay, I'll count the horns for you. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So then you've got blasphemous names, of course, on the each of the heads. Each of the heads has a blasphemous name written on there. Blasphemous name here. You can just barely see one letter on the blasphemous blasphemous names. And so I don't know what those are. I, I they're they're kind of. Uh, Small and hard to read, but blasphemous names on the head. So the the artist really tried to get everything in there. Um, I think he did a pretty decent job. So I don't and I don't have no idea if that's what John was actually seeing. Um, it's coming up out of the sea. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I uh, hope you don't have nightmares with that thing in it uh, tonight. Uh, so uh, so he has this this description. And uh, the dragon, of course, is the source of Antichrist's power. Very clear here. Um, and because he has the, Satan's power behind him, no human force will be able to withstand him. So he'll take over the world. Uh, the dragon works his power through the beast, using him to make war against God. And nor will the holy angels intervene, because God's supernatural restraint of Antichrist will be removed. And that's how Paul described it in 2 Thessalonians 2, that uh, God's restraining power, God would deliberately re remove his restraining power and let the Antichrist uh, go. Um, that will allow Antichrist to arise to power at God's appointed time. Uh, the Antichrist will share Satan's throne. Uh, see Revelation 2.13, where we uh, had that description of where Satan had his throne in one of the letters. Um, just as the true Christ shares his father's throne, Antichrist will share Satan's throne. Uh, so remember, Antichrist is a false Christ. Um, he's a knockoff, cheap copy of Christ. And so there are many things that he tries to imitate the true Christ in. Um, he will possess great authority over the entire world. He will have complete unrestrained freedom of action and will answer to no one uh, because God allows it. Uh, some find it incredible that anyone could rise to such a position of absolute authority, uh, but there have been parallels on a smaller scale in the, in the, in the past. For example, Hitler rose to tremendous um, power, uh, conquered a tremendous amount of the world, um, under one man uh, at that time from 1939 to 1945? Uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. He was, um, he was an evil, evil man, um, and so it, it's certainly possible. For, focus on murdering Jews. Yeah, I mean, yes. I, I think that's a, there's a likelihood there.
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then verse 3 says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain. And his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? So John sees a startling event here as his vision continues uh, that helps the Antichrist to solidify his hold on the world. He sees one of his heads as if it had been slain. So, as if it had been slain. Um, and so, the interpretation of this phrase has been much debated. Uh, the head whose fatal wound has been healed seems to be a reference to the Antichrist, although there have been commentators who uh, try, to, um, try to fit it to the kingdom Im imagery, that it's something happening to a particular kingdom at a particular time. I don't think that works. I think that's... Uh, I think this imagery seems to be talking about the person and not the kingdoms. Um, so, and of course, the death, it's, it only seems like it had been a fatal wound. Uh, so whether the death is real or faked is not clear, but it seems like from the language that it's probably a fake, faked death. Uh, most likely, Antichrist's alleged death and resurrection will be a counterfeit of Christ's actual death and resurrection. Stage as one of the signs and false wonders. That's the way Paul puts it in Second Thessalonians chapter two, uh, uh, chapter two, verse nine. He says that the Antichrist will perform signs and false wonders. That's the way he puts it: signs and false wonders. And so, this is most likely that one of those signs and false wonders. He he he's kind of imitating Christ's death and resurrection. <clears throat> It didn't. No, I didn't see that in there. I couldn't find one with a with a head that was <laughs> seemed to be fatally wound. Uh, so, yeah, signs and false wonders. That's how the Bible says the Antichrist will present himself, um, and so his resurrection will, will uh, be a phony. Will be phony since he never really died. Uh, but the people of the world will believe that the Antichrist has transcended death. Uh, and it, yes. So there's multiple imagery here. And so remember that there's, there's imagery about kingdoms, historical kingdoms, and a kingdom to come. And there's also imagery of a person. So the beast is listed with personal pronouns, he and him. And he takes actions and he, and he says things and he's blaspheming. So it's a person. But it's also representing kingdoms. So there's two sets of imagery here. And so... Um, then the 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 uh, the task becomes so which one which imagery are we looking at when we're talking about this head being wounded, and I think um, it is most probable that this that particular imagery is talking about the Antichrist, the person being wounded, because subsequently we see this um, uh, the whole world worshiping him. Um, the whole, that's what we're going to see here in the next couple of verses, that because of this, the whole world worships him. And so that kind of worship is usually personal. And so I think the whole thing then is talking about the personal imagery of the Antichrist. Because of the succeeding verses where we see that this event causes the whole world to worship him. Uh, yeah, it's not easy to, to work your way through this imagery. It's, yeah, it, right. 
And, and what's the what's the one common denominator through that? Who who was there in in Genesis chapter uh, two, uh, chap, Genesis chapter three, and who's here uh, with the beast, giving his authority to the beast? It's the same. It's Satan is there. The dragon, the serpent, is there for the whole thing, um, always driving this. Did God really say? Uh, he started that with. That's how he, he approached Eve. Did God really say? So he's he's countering God's word. He's, um, he's, he's lying and slandering God and casting doubt on God and his word. And so that, that's Satan's modus operandi from the beginning all the way through to these events. Yeah, Right. And, and so in this case, he's, he's thrown out a false Christ, an antichrist, that, and, he's, and he's using um, symbolic events like a, a fake death and resurrection to imitate, to, for his fake Christ to be kind of like similar to the real Christ. Um, and so, yeah, that's what Satan's doing here. It, we're going to see a distinction coming up in a minute between um, the whole world that goes after Antichrist and the tribulation saints who don't. And so... Um, there, there are, so the tribulation saints, assuming they're reading the scriptures, will see indications of this antichrist. Uh, they'll, they'll be able to read Daniel chapter 7. They'll be able to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. They'll be able to read the book of Revelation. Uh, now, so tribulation saints will be armed with knowledge of the fact that this Antichrist has been prophesied and described in Scripture for, well, thousands of years. And so um, believers will have some uh, warning, I think, and some ability to discern. But unbelievers' eyes are blind. Um, and so that's the way it's always been from the beginning all the way to the end. And they won't be able to see. They'll say, who is like the beast? Uh, who can make war against him? Um, and the, the whole world will worship him. We'll see that. Um, but in that same verse, it says, the whole world will worship him, except those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And, so, the, and, and those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life since the foundation of the world, the description goes, we'll get to that here in a minute. Um, and so... Um, that includes those who are not yet believers, but will become believers, right? Because if you're, let's take a snapshot in time. If there's somebody that's walking around in the world right now who's written in the last book of life from the foundation of the world, who is going to be a believer, well, that's, that's a fact established by God before the creation of the world. And so even if they're not converted now, they will be. And so um, that applies from the beginning of time all the way to the end of time. So that will apply to the end times as well. Um, so uh, the whole earth was amazed and follows after the beast. The whole, the whole world, the whole earth it says. Um, so the world's fascination with Antichrist will quickly become worship. Uh, he's in, he encourages and demands worship. 
uh, as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, exalting himself above every so-called God or object of worship. We read this before, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So not only will the deceived unbelievers worship Antichrist, but they were also, wittingly or unwittingly, be actually worshiping the dragon. Um, by worshiping Antichrist, unbelievers will actually be worshiping Satan, the real power behind him. So as the people of the world worship the Antichrist, they will cry out, who is like the beast, who can make war against him. Um, and so they're referring to Antichrist with this kind of superlative language that's, worship, that's reserved for worship of God. So God is a jealous God, and he doesn't share his worship, the worship of himself, with anyone. And so that's why this is blasphemy, described as blasphemy. Yes. So uh, I, I think that they're going to follow after this Antichrist. So... It says the whole world goes against, uh, follows the Antichrist and worships the Antichrist. Uh, and how exactly that will fit into Muslim theology, I don't know. Uh, maybe they'll take him to be their 13th Mahdi. Um, I mean, that would be my, the guess off the top of my head is that they're going to proclaim this guy the 13th Mahdi. Because they've got, a, they've got a Messiah coming in Muslim theology. They call the 13th Mahdi. And so if, they, if this guy manages to wiggle his way or talk his way into getting himself proclaimed the 13th Mahdi, then the Muslims would follow him. Uh, so then we have, there, there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. So once again, we get the same period. It's the three and a half years of the second, uh, the, the second half of the tribulation. Uh, was given to him. So it's given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So this is the behavior of this Antichrist. So what do we see? So like his master Satan, Antichrist will be an arrogant blasphemer. So blasphemy is not incidental but central to who he is, this Antichrist. Blasphemy is who he is, just like it's who Satan is. Uh, arrogance and blasphemy. Uh, the phrase there was given to him refers to God's sovereign control over all these events. Uh, God will allow Antichrist to blaspheme. Uh, so was given to him. That, that makes it very crystal clear that this is part of God's plan. Um, he's being given um, the authority and he's given this authority for a set period of time uh, it's three and a half years, and that's all um, God's sovereign control over all of history, including these 42 months. Um, God will allow, so this Antichrist will blaspheme, give full expression to the satanic wickedness over the whole earth at this time, and that authority is given to him, and it's given to him by the only one who has all authority, and that's God. Um, and so this Antichrist exhibits total disregard for the true God by continually speaking arrogant words and blasphemies. Um, so he's, he's openly um, um, opposed to God, setting, him up, setting himself up as God um, right out in the open. Um, and it, it won't be subtle. Uh, open, outrageous, monstrous, um, and as Paul says, taking his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So remember, 
the first half of the tribulation, there is a, kind of a, um, a treaty between the Antichrist and Israel. He sets up the temple worship. And now in the second half, he actually goes into the temple and sets himself up as God in front of the whole world. Um, and God allows that to happen as part of his plan for 42 months. Um, and so this actually goes back, as we've been talking about all along here, uh, reminiscent of Satan's original desire when he fell from heaven in holiness. He said in his heart, I will make myself like the Most High. That's the description in Isaiah chapter 14 of Satan's fall. What was Satan thinking? He was thinking, I will make myself like the Most High. And he's still trying to do that all the way here in the end times, and he's doing it through this agent of his Antichrist, by giving this Antichrist authority to set himself up in the temple of God as God. Yes. <clears throat> um, so God is sovereign over everything that the dragon does, and then by, I guess, um, it, the, the, the Antichrist being a subset of Satan's authority is also under God's authority. So all of it, I think, is under uh, God's authority. And, the, and especially the fact that it's um, a limited time frame. So th there's nothing that indicates that the dragon is limiting the Antichrist to a certain time frame. It's, it's God who's limiting him to a certain time frame. And so when we see um, those two combined in the same phrase, for 42 months was given to him, um, there's no indication that that 42-month constraint is coming from the dragon. But instead, it's coming from, from God. Uh, so here we have this, the Antichrist. He's set himself up as God in the temple. Um, uh, the Antichrist blasphemies will include blasphemy of his name and his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. So some specific things that he blasphemes are described here. Uh, God's name represents all that he is, the summation of his attributes. Um, so... And so, so comprehensively evil will the Antichrist blasphemy be that it will include God's tabernacle, heaven, and all those who dwell in heaven with him. So it's a very comprehensive blasphemy. Um, so his blasphemous words are aimed at specifically at God's person, his abode, and his people. All who dwell in heaven with him would be the holy angels and the glorified saints. So he's... He's very comprehensively blaspheming here. Uh, person, abode, and his people. Redeemed saints and holy angels. Uh, so he's not leaving anything out. The blasphemy is total and comprehensive. Um, but neither these blasphemies or his reign on earth will last forever. Uh, God grants Antichrist authority to act for only 42 months. Uh, the last three and a half years, or 1260 days of the tribulation, which is the second half of Daniel's 70th week, from Daniel chapter 9. So, Antichrist and Satan, Satan operating through Antichrist, are allowed to operate only within the time limit set for them by the true ruler of the universe. Uh, but for a few years, they're going to be allowed to dominate the world, this three and a half year period. Uh, but it's all under the sovereign authority of the ruler of the universe. Uh, and so that's the picture that we have here. Um, and so that's very, very unpleasant for the people that are living through it. Um, 
that God's restraining hand is deliberately removed to allow this Antichrist to run rampant over the world for three and a half years. Uh, so th this is an additional motiva motivation for us to spread the gospel to our unbelieving friends and family members and neighbors and co-workers is we don't want them to be under the heel of the Antichrist for three and a half years. Um, if we care about somebody, we don't want them to live through this. Um, uh, let's see, then uh, verse 7. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. Uh, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. So what do we see here in verse 7? Antichrist will not be all talk. He's not just going to blaspheme with words. He's going to take action as well. Make war with the saints and overcome them. Um, so notice again, Antichrist can only do what he's given permission by Almighty God to do. Um, stressing that God never relinquishes absolute control of events. Um, he, wouldn't, he certainly wouldn't have authority to uh, overcome saints without God allowing it. Uh, Satan can't do that. Satan couldn't give him that authority. Because they will refuse to worship him, Antichrist will make war with the saints and overcome them. Believers in the true God will bear the brunt of his murderous fury during this time. Um, so he perceives the believers as a threat. And we've seen this over and over and over again uh, throughout history. Um, that when, when somebody tries to take total control over a society, um, they, they suppress Christianity as one of their actions uh, because they see it as a threat to their total authority over everything in society. Um, I mean, we see that in China today, for example, and other countries too. Uh, but China um, suppresses the true church, and there's a huge underground church in China. But the the governor, the ruling authorities in China, see the, the Christianity as a threat to their control over people. Um, and so the Antichrist evidently will see believers as a threat to his control over over people and society, um, and he will persecute. Uh, the result will be a slaughter of God's people. Uh, we see we've had this described in um, in in some detail in chapter 6 and 7 and 11, and we'll see more detail out of it in chapter 17. Um, and so we, we saw this predicted in, in Daniel, uh, widespread martyrdom of God's people. Um, in Daniel chapter 7, he wrote that Antichrist will wear down the saints of the highest one, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So this is the book of Daniel, thousands of years before these events, saying that Antichrist will be given, that, that the saints of the Most High will be given into the hand of this Antichrist for time, times, and half a time, three and a half years. Uh, that's Daniel 7.25. Yes? So, uh, a good question. So the 144,000 have some kind of special protection. Yeah, seal in their forehead. And so 
my guess is that they are still protected through this. Um, I think they've got some kind of a special protection. Yes, they are. Um, and so, yeah, so Daniel chapter 7 said this will happen. That for three and a half years, uh, the saints of the highest one will be given into the hands of this Antichrist. Uh, so this persecution will begin in earnest at the midpoint of the tribulation. So we're talking about the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation when Antichrist breaks his covenant within Israel, as we saw in Daniel 9.27, sets up the abomination of des desolation described in Daniel 9.11 and 12, and which Jesus refers to in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, and which Paul refers to in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, the Antichrist will successfully make war with the saints and overcome them. And, of course, that does not mean that he will have power to destroy their faith. He will overpower them physically, but not spiritually. We've already seen that, that they, the, the saints will overcome the dragon. That we, we already got that in chapter 12. Genuine saving faith cannot be destroyed. And why not? Because Romans 8 says, Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that's a very comprehensive statement. Paul, Paul goes through everything that he can possibly think of, um, and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And, yeah. So will the Antichrist be in place before the final uh, Yes, so the, the Antichrist is in place and makes some sort of a treaty with Israel. We see that in, in Daniel uh, chapter 9, and then he abrogates that treaty with Israel. So he, um, he seems to be a friend of Israel for the first three and a half years. Um, and then the dragon is thrown down, uh, and then the dragon gives his authority to the Antichrist. And then the Antichrist sets up the desolation that causes abomination from Daniel chapter 9 and Jesus' Olivet Discourse, and then the persecution for three and a half years. So, yeah, the Antichrist is there, and he's, and he's kind of, uh, he, he, he seems to be build, building himself up as a world leader, and he seems to be a good guy. But he's a deceiver just like Satan, and, and then his, his true colors come out, and and he and he becomes this uh, this um, blasphemer and and murderer of believers. Uh, yeah. So um, we don't um, we don't have great detail. We know that he's a man because his number is six six six. His number of a man, um, but his power and authority comes from Satan. And so, and it's the description of in chapter eleven is this. He comes up out of the abyss. And so the demons are shown to be coming up out of the abyss. And so those things put together seem to indicate that he'll be possessed by a demon and given great power and authority from Satan. Um, but, but he's a man. Yeah. Okay, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is infinitely more powerful than Satan or his Antichrist. And he won't permit... A uh, true child of his to suffer the loss of eternal life. Uh, but Antichrist will slaughter God's people on an unprecedented scale as he expresses world dominance. So that's what we see. He's overcoming them physically and killing them. Um, from everything else we know in Scripture, he's definitely not overcoming them spiritually. Uh, including what we've just read in the previous chapter of Le Revelation 12. 
uh, that the the uh, saints will overcome the dragon by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Um, so, th- so the, the scripture doesn't contradict itself. And so we just read that in the same vision in chapter 12. So we know he's not overcoming them spiritually. But in 13, we, s- we see that it, he's overcoming them. So in what way could he overcome them? That's definitely not spiritual, because we've just read he doesn't overcome them spiritually. It's physically. He's killing them. He's making martyrs. Okay, everybody see that? All right, let's continue. Verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. Um, And so, uh, all who dwell on the earth will worship the Antichrist. And so this phrase, all who dwell on the earth, is used over and over and over again in the book of Revelation. We saw it in... Um, chapter 3, chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 11. We see it here in chapter 13. We'll see it again in chapter 17. And it always means um, those who are not believers. It's a way of saying unbelievers. Um, So it doesn't include anyone who's been alive. uh, Everyone who's been alive at that time. It includes only unbelievers. And we get a very specific expression of that here in this verse. Um, it's everyone whose name has not been... So it, it, it's, it's telling us what this phrase doesn't mean. So this phrase, everyone on the whole earth, obviously doesn't include those whose name have written, been written in, in the Lamb's Book of Life. Um, and it, all, that it, it never includes those. It, it, it's the same phrase over and over again in Revelation, all who dwell on the earth, always means unbelievers in the Book of Revelation. Um, it's just very explicit here in this particular verse. Um, everyone whose name has been written, and notice it's written from the foundation of the world in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so this is the doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination, the fact that the Lamb's Book of Life has had all the names written in it all the way from the foundation of the world. Um, and so God has known and chosen and elected and predestined uh, everyone who will be written in that book all the way from the beginning. Um, and they will not be able to be fooled by the Antichrist. So unbelievers will perish because they have not received the love of the truth as to be saved, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says. Um, so we get this description of those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Um, it occurs seven times in the New Testament, uh, six of them are in the book of Revelation and one in uh, Philippians chapter 4. Um, identify those names written in the book of life. Uh, the believers are identified as those who are written in the book of life. And we see it, of course, worked out at the very end in, in chapter 21 when we get the, uh, the great white throne judgment. Those who are written in the last book of life are not subject to that, um, that judgment. Um, that's chapter 21 when we get there. Uh, the book of life belongs to the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. Uh, it's the registry in which God inscribed the names of those chosen for salvation, and very specifically here, before the foundation of the world. Um, and this phrase is used, that phrase before the foundation of the world, is used as a synonym for eternity past. 
Uh, we see it in various places. We'll see it again in Revelation here and also in chapter 17. But we also see it in Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 25, Luke chapter 11, Ephesians 1, Hebrew 9, uh, 1 Peter 1, 2 Thessalonians 2, and 2 Timothy chapter 1. So we see this phrase over and over again in Scripture meaning uh, as a euphemism or a synonym for eternity past, the foundation of the world. Uh, but that's when your name was inscribed in the book of life. From the foundation of the world. Absolutely amazing. That's right. And so, uh, yes, yeah, so it's the, uh, the descriptions of God's eternality are very diff difficult for us to wrap our minds around. Uh, because we are finite beings, we have a very difficult time understanding the concept of infinity. Um, infinity past, infinity future... Uh, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't compute for those of us that are trapped within time and therefore finite. Uh, but this is one of the descriptions, one of the ways that the Bible describes that. Uh, so unlike unbelievers, the elect will not be deceived by the Antichrist. And, and Jesus said that in Matthew 24. Uh, nor will they worship him. Uh, we'll see that in uh, Revelation chapter 20. The... the, the Believers, those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will not worship the beast here. The whole world will, but not those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They won't worship it. He won't be able to destroy believers' saving faith. Um, and so believers, those who are followers of Christ, have been in the keeping power of God since before creation. And they will be in the keeping power of God all the way to the destruction of the world and the establishment of the new heaven and the new earth that we'll see in Revelation chapter 21. This is the consistent teaching of Scripture, um, that we are saved by grace, um, and that's a gift of God. It's, in, it's His power that saves us and keeps us saved and will keep on keeping us saved. Um, and so Paul's description in Romans chapter 8 um, of the fact that there's, there's nothing that can, that can separate us from the love of Christ because we're kept by the power of the Almighty Creator. Um, and so nothing can break His grip on His children. Okay. Oh, yes, I'm sure it does because, I mean, he's, he's, we see this description. He's going to be, you know, murdering on a grand scale. Uh, believers, and he won't be able to uh, destroy any of their, uh, not a single one will be snatched out of Christ's hand, in spite of all this, these efforts of Satan. And so that's why, one of the reasons why the, uh, in the vision, John describes the dragon as enraged, because he keeps making all these efforts, and it keeps be, being futile, and he keeps losing. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> Yeah, there's a great book called Jesus in Beijing uh, by a, a British man. I think his name is Aiken. Um, Jesus in Beijing. And it's, it's a British guy that went over there and spent a couple of years going around and, and, and talking to people in the underground church. Um, and it's just an amazing story of faithfulness that... This underground church has thrived in spite of pressure. Now, the, the, the pressure goes up and down from time to time. But there's always persecution of, of this underground church. And, and they've actually set up an above-ground church. 
to, and, and that subtly adds to the pressure. There's a there's an above ground church called the Three Self Church, uh, that's approved by the government. The sermons are approved by the government, all, all that kind of thing, uh, and you can openly join that church. And so there's a there's a this subtle opportunity. Hey, you can you can be a Christian and be in the open, and we won't persecute you, just as long as the government gets to write the sermons. Um, and so, but these these underground church refuse that. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, a good friend of mine from um, from university, um, he 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 studied the um, uh, hist- history and language of China was his major. Uh, so he studied Chinese language and history and culture um, in in college because he wanted to be a missionary. So uh, he's been there since 1986, um, continuously since 1986. And when he first went over, he went over with a cover job, teaching English. But after about 10 or 12 years, he dropped that. Because no, nobody was checking up on him, really. Um, and so he does a lot of pastor training, and he pastors his own church, and uh, all that kind of thing. But, yeah, so, but that church, the underground church in China is huge. Huge. Hundreds of millions. All right, Yes. So uh, let's uh, let's wrap up here. So we've got this uh, at the end. We've got this uh, kind of this uh, warning. Uh, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Uh, that's repeated many times in the New Testament. Um, it's used previously in Revelation. Um, it's uh, and then there's this kind of proverb at the end. If anyone is destined to captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. And here is the perseverance in the faith of the saints. So what's going on here? So the proverb is a practical truth for believers alive at the time of the Antichrist persecution. They're to depend on God's providence, not take matters into their own hands. Uh, Those believers who are destined by God's sovereign plan for captivity or imprisonment are to accept that incarceration. And we've seen believers imprisoned in so many different countries, in so many different times throughout all of history. Uh, and what, he's, what, what uh, the Holy Spirit is saying here is accept the fact that you're going into captivity. Um, and so w- what, what they're saying here is, is they're not to resist or fight against the Antichrist. Um, there's also a very interesting upholding of the divine institution of capital punishment here. Uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 5 and 6 instituted, if anyone kills, they'll, by, if anyone kills a man, he's to be killed by man. Um, if any, and there's a repeating of that right in the middle of this here. Um, if anyone kills the sword with the sword, he must be killed. Um, and so, but what's the, the overall uh, message here is that God's people must not retaliate against their persecutors. There will be no place for militant, aggressive, violent believers fighting against their persecutors during this time. First um, Peter chapter 4, those who... Are, uh, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Um, that's the message. It's the same message as First uh, Peter chapter 4. Um, and so, instead of reacting violently, believers must exemplify the perseverance and faith of the saints. And they must be like the Lord Jesus, while being reviled, did not revile in return. Um, and so, uh, this, this beast is coming, um, and the, the beast will not be able to overcome their faith. Um, but don't 
but that doesn't extend to physical protection in this case. Um, they're going to be killed. And so, um, 30 seconds. Any, <laughs> any last, last questions? I'm sorry, I, I got a, a divergence into China there for a second. Um, so the, the visions are being given to him, I think, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but remember that all of Revelation, the, all the things that God has revealed through his word, are consistent. And also, John is most likely familiar with the scriptures. So he's familiar with Daniel, the revelations of Daniel. But the vision itself is coming from the Lord. Let me, uh, let me close this in a word of prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time around your word. We thank you for the magnificence of your revelation from Genesis to Revelation about who you are and your plan, uh, your sovereign plan uh, for all of history. We also thank you for the opportunity we have right now to worship you together as a body of Christ in corporate worship. And uh, we pray that uh, the, the, the worship that we offer you will be acceptable in your sight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.